0: The All Black Podcast is powered by our official cloud software partner, SAP, helping our teams in black become the best run teams in sport. To listen to this episode and all the All Black Podcasts, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts.
1: Here we go. Can
0: make it you, you? Get this is the All Blacks Podcast. Kia ora welcome to episode 1 of the All Black podcast powered by SAP and fantastic to have SAP on board. They're all about helping teams be the best run and we have a man in the studio today who knows a little bit about that. 148 games as a player for Waikato during their golden era. 28 games for the Chiefs when rugby first went professional back in 1996 and 97 and now over 20 years coaching Waikato, the Chiefs, Junior All Blacks, assistant coach, World Cup winner in 2015 and today, numero number one, the top dog, head coach of the All Blacks. Mm. Welcome to the studio, Ian Foster.
1: Great to be here at this uh, first uh, SAP powered podcast. So quite excited.
0: Thank you, mate. I appreciate it. And you, you did the, um, you got onto New Zealand's biggest car park today, did you? State Highway One. Did you get up here all right?
1: Yeah. Did the uh, the, the pilgrimage from Hamilton <laughs> to Auckland and uh, plenty of rain, which seems to slow the traffic down up here a lot. But uh, great trip. And um, you know, it's always I, I love coming up here. I actually love the city, and yep. it's a bit of good vibe about it. And um, nice to see some rain because we've got a bit of a drought down our way.
0: Yeah 100% and what's when um, when Fozzie's making that pilgrimage up the highway from the Waikato which he must have done a thousand times in his life back from being a player to, to being the coach now, what's on the radio you know is it is it the podcast, is it listening to um, a bit of news talk, have we got a bit of FM radio on, what's what's on the dial?
1: A little bit of both actually I'm, I'm, a, um, I'm normally getting instructions from my wife about what <laughs> things I didn't do at home that I have to do when I get back, I uh, I enjoy my, um, sort of, the mornings, I'm, quite, I'm a bit of a fan of Mike Hoskins in the morning, I love yep. the... the, the, the uh, bit of center
0: right, common sense, I think well, he likes to refer to the, it as, doesn't he? I yeah. probably
1: prefer the controversy, <laughs> I just like he just says what he thinks, and, it's, um, and that goes well, but um, I'm also a music man, yep. and um, I love my playlists, and got things queued up through through Apple Tunes, and... Give us of, one, give us a couple, what's on there? uh well eclectic really I'm a, oh, I like it I'm a bit of an old school like Bob Dylan and um Bruce Coburn a Canadian folk singer bluesy singer is probably oh, like my favorite yeah. um, so go back and research him <laughs> and but then I'm into a lot of the new stuff I you know I've got my particularly my two daughters who get me into the yeah. sort of the imagined dragons and and that sort of stuff and I got a son who's into a lot of weird stuff like Tiger Army from America and that that I can sort of get around, so Jason Isbell. That is an eclectic mix, yep. Fozzie.
0: And look, I know you're probably a very busy man. Islands not too far away, so there's a heap of work to do for that, but you've also been out and about in the community. Was it coaching at Poro Poro on Tuesday, was it?
1: Yeah, I had a lot of fun over there. In fact, my nephew and his his wife His wife just started playing, so I went down to Poro Poro Rugby Club by Whakatane. We had a great session with um, with both the... The, the the men's and the women's teams together training together and um, had the one of the best feeds after a train that I've <laughs> ever had and just a community spirit and just I, I love getting out into the I guess it's not the outbacks but it just feels like that but just yeah. to feel the vibe of a of an outstanding country club and the and the benefit they can be in a in a community which is pretty oh, cool hundred percent it's pretty cool out in the
0: in the East Bay plenty. Awesome podcast today. Uh, we're going to talk to Foz about his sort of his life in rugby, early days in Pataru, through to being the All Black head coach. We're going to answer a few questions from some of our All Black fans, um, which we've had sent in. We've also got the SAP best run segment. Foz is going to talk a little bit about what he think he thinks makes a best run team. But firstly, a little bit of a warm-up. Don't want to come in too hot. All right. So a few quick fire questions um, that we do with a lot of our guests. Foz, can you remember the first All Black game you went to?
1: Uh Yep, uh, actually. I, <laughs> yep. No, well, the answer is I didn't didn't go to one as a kid. Oh, you know, is. we didn't really have any. Didn't have probably the money to actually go in those days, and we lived away from the main centres. So, you know, my first All Black game, if I remember right, was actually in my playing days. It was a test in Hamilton. So, wow, so it probably didn't have the big impact on me that that perhaps yep. it did if I went younger. And
0: was you know, and this again, this might be a tough one as well. Was there was there a favourite All Black? growing up that you used to watch and at that you saw on the T V or, or read about in the paper all the day back then?
1: Uh oh look, there were some great all blacks, particularly the some of the ones I guess in that seventies period and um and but but ironically the, the player that probably impacted me the most when I was young it was I think it was the nineteen seventy one Lions series. I think I would have been about six and um was actually the the, the, the Lions first five, yeah. guy called Barry Johns. Yeah. Welshman and Welshman and um he played with a lot of flair, and I, I loved the. And he sort of, for some reason, he stuck in my mind. He ended up buying his book. He was the first ever sports book I read. Was the Barry Johns story. So it's yeah, it um, is. it's, uh, you know that that was a pretty dramatic series that one, and I stuck in my mind.
0: they were ahead of their time a little bit, weren't they? They played a, a a pretty expensive brand for the for the time, and and there's actually a number of players um, and a number of people who remember those guys, and and um, their players, the Barry Johns and the Gareth Davies, and those boys are, um. You know, really well
1: remember, do not they? Yeah, they are, and it's um, you know, it just goes to show we've had some really special players in, in our in our history, but the, the other countries have had some special players too. So, and sometimes some of them stick out. Hundred percent, and you were a part of a pretty much a golden area for Waikato rugby. I know
0: you said it went through different stages, but I think you might have started all the way back in '85 and and went for 13 or 14 years. Any players stick out that you played with and against as as really good players?
1: Uh yep you know like it was a, it was a long period and I was sort of like the guy that stood behind this big boulder which was the Waikato Ford Pack yeah. in those days and just picked up the dregs every time they they got a bit tired they let the backs have the ball and that's yeah. kind of my my record of that time but you know we had some pretty cool people that I played with in those times and you know if you and and the exciting thing is a lot of them have come on and and yeah. stayed in the game for a long time. You look at the likes of like Gaddy's done a an outstanding job you know as a coach, but he also he was um he was awesome as a player and and mitch and those sort of yeah. people. I guess the one guy that sticks out to me was was probably always dwayne monkley yeah. and he's you know in Waikato Waikato terms he's a bit iconic isn't he oh, like yeah. the um but he he' has sort of epitomized the game for us you know he'd drive up to to training and his Big truck because he'd been driving all day and he'd get out of his truck with his boots on and train harder than anyone else and then go home and have a meal about nine o'clock at night and do the same the next day so and um, so he was probably the guy that that uh, had the biggest impact. He would, am I right in saying I don't think he was an All Black? He's almost one of
0: those people that's often um, spoken of as the most unlucky person not to be an All Black because he just played to such a high standard for such a long time. But was it the Michael Jones and some of the people that were? That he played in the same era of just couldn't quite make that next step or wasn't picked for that next step.
1: Yeah, I think so, and I think there's there's a lot of I mean most provinces have got people like that, haven't they? And and partly that's that's what's exciting about the All Blacks, really, is that there's it's it's not only about the stories of people who get in, it, it's it's the stories that there's some great players who probably would do a good job as an All Black, but they just don't you know don't get selected. And what what I love about Dwayne is that you know he's got no regrets. Yeah. You know he just gave everything the best he can and. Was out of his control, and but nothing really changed how he loved the game. Yeah, mate, he was an awesome player.
0: Um, Foz, if Foz to come round to your house for a dinner party, mate, there's vicious rumours <clears> circulating that you're not too bad in the kitchen. What would be on the menu?
1: Well, if we were really close, <laughs> and if our relationship was at the stage that I, I actually I liked you, I'd, yeah. I'd slow cook. The a jury's little. out on that, isn't it? I, I, well, well, let's see how this podcast goes, but I, I'd um. Personally, I'd uh, I'd do a slow cooked lasagna. Oh wow! And so one of my things I love when I'm working at home is actually just to get the sauce simmering all morning, and then assemble it, and then let it sit, and then just sort of heat it up in the oven later on. Um, so that would be one. I'd um, if if our relationship was okay, <laughs> well, I I want to try and impress you, but we don't know each other that sure. well. I'd probably go with a, a sort of a spaghetti arrabbiata which is a sort of tomato based bacon bit of chili sauce. Wow, I'm feeling a bit inadequate here, actually, okay. to be honest, mate. a bit of parmesan cheese. Yeah, well, and... Uh, so so you'll know, you know what I think when you turn up.
0: Oh, totally, and obviously getting a, an Italian theme there, why is that? What drives <laughs> that, um, you know, that theme in the kitchen?
1: Uh, oh, look, it um, comes back to, I guess, we, my, my wife and I, we had uh, nearly two years over there in our mid-twenties. Oh. Um, went over there as a player for six months, um and And loved it so much that we stayed over there mr Mr season back here and traveled around traveled around Europe and um in you know in a in a van with a with a tent and um then really? we had then we played a second season and um their their culture we got some amazing friends I still got keep in touch with them all the time we go and visit and made a big impact on us and learned something very good in life over there that my coach Piero Monfalli taught me, which was the difference between New Zealanders and the Italians is that um, is that we eat to live and they live to eat, ah, and uh, their their appreciation of food and what they do. A real occasion was definitely. It's so good. How do we go with the languages? Are mm. you? Can you speak some Italian or speak Italian? Yeah, parlo abbastanza bene. Ma, un po' tempo. Uh, hey, no. This podcast
0: is putting me in my place, so I'm feeling
1: <laughs> massively inadequate today. But No, yeah. don't, because I got stuck halfway through a sentence there, stairs, I forgot the rest, so I'm actually not too bad, but I need to be there, yep. and actually once I'm in there for a few days, it, I, I pick up some. And you played the Italians
0: last year, didn't you? So you would have been not just the coach, but the host with the most in, in that environment. You would have been very much
1: um, back on the horse. Oh, look, it, um, it killed me last year, because <laughs> <clears throat> we were in Italy, we are in Rome, uh, but we we're stuck in our hotel, ah, you know, and yeah, right. um, it was the hard part. One of the things of those tours is that I mean, we got out on a bus on one day, but we couldn't actually get out and yeah. enjoy it, and it's um, and it became quite tough, you know, particularly when our friends turned up and we had to sort of meet them outside the hotel yeah, from yeah, a distance, yeah. and yeah. and so that that was a bit niggly. Yeah, well, hopefully that's a thing of the past. <clears throat> but if this this dinner party
0: that I may or may not be at, if yep. you could invite three other people, famous people along, perhaps from history, who would you invite? From history? Yeah, or just, yeah, it uh, doesn't have to be from history. It could be um, people you'd love along. could be celebrities. It might not be.
1: Yeah, it may not be. It's um, <laughs> If I can invite three people, um, please don't be insulted if you're not on the list. <laughs> um, and historic, one guy I love is a guy called Albert Luthuli. Oh, wow. And he was, um, I read a book. It made a big impact on me when I was in South Africa. Um, he wrote a book called Let My People Go, and he's the guy that, paved the way for Nelson Mandela and what he did over there wow. and having been to South Africa about 17 times over yeah. it um I've been really intrigued with some of their history so he he kind of would definitely be one um I'd definitely have Robert De Niro as, a, as an actor he's um old school but I just love his versatility yeah. and um and I guess if I went to music I'd probably go with my, my Bruce Coburn actually just yeah. to Older guy now, put out a lot of albums and um, he's a bit of a poet, the way he writes stuff and uh, I, I love his cruisy nature. Mate, that'd be great, didn't party. Yeah, gonna, yeah. I'd probably cook lasagna for
0: that one too. <laughs> 100%. Would you say is that, is that almost a, a happy place for you away from rugby, like in the kitchen or hosting mm-hmm. or you'd like to say it seems like something you really picked up on from your time in Italy?
1: Yeah, look, I don't want this, uh, this chat, to, people to think that I'm a good cook. Seriously, <laughs> I'm, I'm a... I'm a master of a few little things. That's yeah, all, but yeah. um, I, I look home is is, is happy place. You yeah. know, it's um, and you know, Lee, my wife, she's um, you know, she she's the person who creates that feeling. Really, she's the the glue at all. But it's um, there's nothing better than being home and having people around and 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 chilling out.
0: And you've got a few kids. Do they get home a wee bit too? I know your daughter's doing really well with football. Perhaps she's had some time overseas. But like, is there still an opportunity for the fosters to have flat night and get them all home on a on a Sunday and and have a big meal together? And <laughs> is, that, is does that still happen, or are they are they all flown the coop?
1: Oh, they're like rodents. Say hey? they just keep coming back. I thought I thought I got rid of them for a while, but um, now they've all left. But you know. Oldest uh, Mark, he's married now, and they've got a little boy called Bose. So I'm a granddad now, oh, so uh, that's he's ten months old, and incredibly proud of of that, and I'm excited about that role in life. Yeah. And um, and and you know the, the 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 two daughters, they they flat nearby, so they they're both working and just finished studying and and looking for their next phase of life. So. Yeah, they uh, pop up a lot. and Funnily enough, generally around dinner time with with their flats. And, um, yeah, we have some regular flat nights, which is really just bludgeoning off mum and dad, isn't it? But it's a lot of fun, and we Uh, wouldn't have it any other way.
0: That sounds awesome. And is there um, any phrases in life, whether it be around home or
1: or in the coaching environment, that you perhaps overuse, do you think? Um, Well, my kids will say uh, I overuse a phrase called Daddy Wisdom. You know, I used to... (laughs) Every time I'd take them to school um, in the every time, you know, whenever I was at home because I was away a lot, I'd always make sure I was the parent that took them to school. I loved having them in the car. That was my time. And I'd lock them in the doors, drive and say, this is daddy wisdom time. And um, they had to listen to all the wise advice I had in life. Yes. Um, Funny enough, they remember none of it. Um, <laughs> but no, apart from that, I don't know. I think I'm pretty good. Mate, have, have you got any annoying habits? There's there's a,
0: a vicious rumour circulating that you you like to employ the back scratcher during meetings. That's something that's made it through <laughs> to the podcast. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's what's been the information that's been fed to me. It could be okay. fake news. It could be fake news, as I'm not sure, but it's um, it's certainly turned up in
1: the in the notes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'd um, testify it's not fake news. It's, it's one of the great inventions in life. It's a little wooden thing that's extendable and. We got it in Japan, yep. you know, I think it was a hotel gift or something, and the fact that you can just sort of get down your back and, oh, I'm a fidget, yep. and, you know, we're in a Zoom world, aren't we? And oh, I so I see. kind of think, well, I started off being prim and proper in Zoom and trying to do the right thing, but after a while, it's like, well, yeah. this is my house. Yeah, yeah. I want to relax, and i got an itchy back, so. Mate. I, I, um yeah. yeah
0: I I think yeah mate go for it like you say go for it um what about some of the players or, or players that you've had over the years is there any that stand out as potentially most annoying uh whether it be on
1: tour or, or here in NZ I, I I remember back in the Chiefs days uh, Sam two I'm not yes. sure if you remember yeah, Sam I remember Sam yeah, great totally. character yeah um, would do whatever he can to annoy you and his one goal in life every training was not to learn something it was to pull my pants down and <laughs> God. That was that era, and um, <laughs> needless to say, from the texts I get from him now that he's overseas, he hasn't changed much, yeah, so right. um, he would yeah. be another one. Totally. Mate, what's what's the trait you admire
0: most <laughs> in others, whether it be players or other coaches or, or friends and family, there's certain traits that really resonate with you?
1: Uh, do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. You know, I think it's, um, you can overcomplicate some things, but it's, uh, it's, It's having the conversations and agreeing on things and people just do what they say they're going to do. And that that sort of builds trust. It it helps set expectations. It it forces people to have a really close conversation at the start to make sure everyone's aligned. Um, And then you just go and do what you say you're going to do. And that way you can be relied on. Yeah. I love it. You've had
0: a huge life in rugby. <coughs> like when I was getting ready for this, like this, you've been involved in rugby for a huge amount of time. I want to talk a little bit about some of that stuff. It's not maybe some of the stuff um, that we hear you speak about a lot, but was your early days in footy was it traditional? Was it down to the the local grassroots footy club down there in Beefy, just playing with your mates? Like <laughs> is is that how Foz got into into footy
1: all those years ago? Yeah, it was. I was the um, youngest of three boys. Yeah. Um, Dad was a, a barber in Pitaururu, and okay. um, le- we left there when we we were five because Dad decided he he wanted to become a Presbyterian minister, so we went down to Dunedin and, and lived in Dunedin for three years while he trained, then, then his first church was in Mosgiel, he had five years down there, so that was my first, um, that age between five and 13 was really when I started playing rugby. I played for a club, my first club was Alhambra oh, in, yeah. in Dunedin, yep. and... And my first season, I was lock, and, and Dad was coach, and and we had a petition, and I, I led it, and we sacked him at the end of this first year, so I didn't have to play lock anymore. So, um, But I just, um, I remember going up to the Alambra Club at the top of Opaho Road, and I used to go there as a kid and just practice my kicking all the time, and I still remember the first time I ever got a place kick over. Yeah. And um, as soon as I got it over, I picked the ball up and ran all the way down the hill to, to go and tell mum and dad I got a kick over, you know. So it was like, um, we, we were just, we, we were loved and encouraged to do stuff. And and rugby seemed to be a little bit of a, a focal point. But it wasn't just rugby. It was actually just about community things. It was cricket. there was all sorts. We were just encouraged to get out there and do stuff.
0: Yeah. And we did, because obviously you went on and played 148 games for Waikato. <laughs> so when did... You know, when did that pathway start to to happen? Was it was it at high school? Did you make some rep teams, or, or um, you know, it was it was something that you were still just playing football with your mates, and and at some stage um, you got picked for a couple
1: of teams? Yeah, a little bit of that one, really, because we uh, we moved back to Tokoroa and had most of my high school years there at Forest View High School. Yep. Um, we 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 built a, a team. We, we were pretty low ranked in those days. Uh, we managed to get up into the top division, and then we. Had a you know, had a pretty special year in, in what was my seventh form year. Things went really well. Um, I made the Waikato secondary schools, which kind of felt like I was the token country kid to, to go with all the city kids and sat on the bench and watch that team play <laughs> at the tournament. Um, but it gave me a taste. And then when I went to university, um, in, in Waikato, it sort of that's when I probably started to take it really, really seriously. And... Um, Got into a, a, some Waikato teams at that stage, so I didn't really make a lot of the the younger Waikato teams, sure. you know, and and didn't make a lot of rep teams in that sort of under fifteen type age group. So, um, in some ways, um, it was quite good. I just kept working on my game, loving it, and um, things happened. Totally, things did
0: happen, and <clears throat> and you became part of the Waikato team for thirteen or fourteen years. There's some, you know, pretty significant matches in there. A couple I wanted to chat about. Firstly. 93 defeat of Auckland at Eden Park <laughs> you know like it's it's still a record today 61 <clears> games <throat> on the bounce uh, for Auckland at that time it's when the Ramfordly Shield was probably you know in its absolute golden era and went up to Eden Park like they'd done 60 on the bounce i think it was you know it's Fitzpatrick and Fox and Zinzan Brook yep. and Inga Turgimala Jones. Jones exactly 2-1. right absolutely stacked yeah um but did you boys going up there, were you confident? <clears throat> Do you think have a chance or was it just gonna go and have a crack? Because when I look look back at the clips, I think it was 17-6, only trying the game, went to Ian Foster, uh, as it turned out, <laughs> maybe a cheeky little drop goal as well, um, to get the game going. Was were the, did you think you're
1: a chance? Yeah, we thought we were a chance. It's um you know, we we came up the Friday night, had our traditional stop at Pocono. We all got an ice cream at, at the Pocono ice cream <laughs> place. That was a great Waikato tradition. Um and and we had a good chat that night, and it was at the stage that we sort of we, we'd been together for a while, and and I think we were almost the players were trying to practice their own sort of things called sports psychology without really knowing it, and we were sort of used to meet in a room and have a chat about the game, and 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 um I, and I still remember like, I think it was probably led by Mitch and Gats as uh, this particular part I remember is that they talked about you know imagine what it'd be like if. If we'd won this sort of stuff and we went down that line, but it's um, but it was a cool occasion. We'd been building up for that in '93. We'd actually come up the year before in '92 and beat them in the semi final, and so we had a lot of confidence coming from that and, and a bit of belief. And but the real sad thing about that game is that well, I played 148 games for Waikato, and and um, whenever I speak, people only remember one. Yeah, right. And it's that yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's but it's, it. But the, what it keeps reminding me is that that's how iconic a game it was, yeah. particularly for us in, in the Waikato. But, but also it was. It's an iconic game because of who Auckland were, wasn't it? Yeah. Because of what that achieved, and that was an amazing rugby team. And for the whole first five or six years of my rep career, they were the benchmark, and they were way up there, and we were all trying to get there. And. Um, that era there, I think, was probably one of the best things for New Zealand rugby because it actually it forced the rest of us to start to figure out how to bridge the gap and it brought the rest of the country up. Totally. And like you say, I was 148
0: games for Waikato. You've you know, said that about four or yeah, five times. Yeah, so now. that's, that's we that. just have focused on the one. Yeah. But was there, there some pretty good plays through that era, which you've just spoken about, but... You know that's a lot of games, a provincial <clears> rugby. There's no Super Rugby at the time. Were, were you ever? Did you ever think maybe you're a chance for the All Blacks, or, or you know, was there any any ever mention of that? Because you know, had some pretty
1: good games for the mulu yeah, Oh heck, yeah! I thought I had a great chance for the All Blacks. <laughs> I thought the All Blacks selectors always got it wrong. You know, and now I've realised I thought they were they're they a bunch of idiots in those days, and now I've realised it's not the easiest job in the world. Yeah. So yeah. <clears throat> look, it's um. I think there was a period there around that 92, 93 period that, that I felt that I was playing good enough rugby to be strong in contention. It's, um, and, look, whilst it was a driver for me, I kind of, I, as a younger player, I probably took a long time to really believe in myself that I could play at that next level. Yeah. And um, and it probably wasn't until I was about 26, 27 that I really started to play the rugby that I, I was probably capable of. And so... And there's a little bit of a lesson there for us as coaches now and and selectors now, is that particularly in a lot of the decision making things, we expect our young players to yeah. get everything right really quickly, you know. And it's um, but you know, you, you need often you need to go through a whole lot of experiences and fight your own demons and and build your own confidence to really to know, okay, now I can pull the trigger and just go and play and do what I need to do. And I was a slow burner in that space. Yeah. The week after is always the hardest game, they say. Did your
0: um, first defence was it uh, back at, back in Hamilton and maybe playing a really strong Otago side with the boys um, you're able to get up for that one? But geez, that must have been tough. But also good to get back home.
1: Oh yeah, that was um, great question. By the way, I like that question because that was the um, that's probably the game that that I remember the most yep. is the next one. And it's um, you know if you go back to '92, we'd played them in the final in Hamilton and 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 smacked them but this Otago this team was building and and to play them after we'd just won the shield we knew we were vulnerable that day the, the crowd was just absolutely packed you know I remember and they came back near the end of the game and, yep. and tied it up with about 20 minutes to go and I think it was might have been Greg Cooper having a conversion from the sideline with Waikato you know, beer bottles landing on the ground around him. I mean that was kind of disgraceful but that's kind of what the environment was like yeah, everyone was yeah. tense but um and uh, so that last 20 minutes was pretty, uh, pretty unique because you didn't want to be the team to lose it straight away. So um, very relieved with that one. Yeah, and Foz put a couple down into referee's corner, is it? Which is the women
0: <laughs> famous quarter in Waikato. couple of str- scrums, was it John Mitchell, who like how many yep. push over scrum? That, he's actually, he looked older on the clips and when I was looking at them in 1993 than he does now with a... With a clean dome, he looked like a
1: 50 year old in those clips. Yeah, you know, actually, Mitch is <laughs> looking good now, and, he, and that's right. But it's, hey, in those days, I mean, you get praise for the referee's corner, and that's what it was, and you kick down there. But you got to remember in those days, like that last 20 minutes, I remember that the tactics were really clever. Is that when we had the ball, I was going to kick the ball dead. Yeah. Because in those days, you yeah. kick the ball over the dead ball line, and yeah. they just had to have a dropout. So, you know, we, we had a very cunning plan of let's just panic and just put the ball <laughs> down there. And so it, it didn't take a lot of school, skill in those days, whereas now there, there's a lot more demands on your kicking game. So I'll, I'll take that one.
0: 98 was your, your last game. You told me beforehand you played a really good Otago side <clears throat> um, down in was it? Did you know it was going to be your last game? Or um, did that game almost signal sort of the end of an era for you and started to think about other things?
1: I didn't know it was going to be my last game. I was 33. Um, I, was, I was captain of Waikato at that stage. We'd, we'd uh, won the Shield again in 97, which means we lost it in 96. But um, <laughs> And um, and so we'd held the Shield all nineteen ninety-eight. 98 And um, so for us, it was a massive year and we had some great games. We beat Canterbury in, a, in the last Shield game and then we beat them in the semi-final. So we had massive highlights in 98 and then we went into a final and, look, we ran out of juice and, and they, they were peaking and they were a quality team. And, and so my mindset was very much on the here and now at that point. I wasn't yep. thinking about finishing. Like I said, I was captain, but I was also, um, I, I was I was probably... Competing with Glenn Jackson at that oh, point yeah. and yeah. he was the other 10 and, and quite frankly don't tell anyone But he was probably a he- heck of a lot better than me right. And well I mention it yeah no no he was young and fast and he was a he was he was a better place And I but I probably had the experience and the ownership of the team that so our coach um, those days whether I liked it or not was uh, we sort of rotated through some games, but whenever there was a shield game I'd start but um, if things didn't go well then I was the first to get subbed off so my last ever game in a final captain I got subbed off at half time so um and i he probably made the right decision but I didn't think that at the time but yeah,
0: totally. but
1: um that that was the end of my playing days but I, I really took a couple of weeks after that yeah. and said okay that's it I was um I had my own marketing business going at that stage because rugby was I was transitioning out, and so I had something to go to, and I was pretty passionate about that, and that's where I went. I was going to ask that because rugby had been professional for a couple of years. You know, certainly not enough to,
0: you know, retire on, and Mm. and you were coming to end of the playing days. Did you put a lot of thought into that as a player? It sounds like you did a little bit because at some stage you also transitioned into coaching, which we can chat about as well. But did you put a lot of thought into to the next stage when you were playing?
1: Um, Yeah, I did. You know, I was. um, I, well, in those days you, you did because you actually, you you went the other way around, didn't yeah, you? Like yeah. in those days you had to have a job and then you played rugby. And so, you know, I I did a marketing degree, went into the media world and, and worked for radio um, around Hamilton. Then I worked for TVNZ and, and sales and marketing. And then when rugby went professional, I sort of left there and did my own little marketing consultancy and had a few clients that I worked for. So... So that was going pretty well. So that was simmering away in those three like my last three years when I was playing for the Chiefs, and um, and so the whole goal there was really just to enjoy being a, a being professional and trying to figure that out. I love being part of the transition, yep. and um, and 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 to be one of those players that tried to, I guess, help that transition to make sure we did it well, and um, and then go into the work scene, and then the, the coaching gig sort of came as a you know, the, probably because I was captain of Waikato, we just held the shield, so we still wanted to defend the shield, we had a new head coach, and he didn't have a back coach, and so I went into, I went into sort of assistant coach at that point, which was really a, a small part-time job in those days.
0: Yeah, but it was, and is it, uh, did a passion grow from there, you know, because effectively that was the start of a 20-year career that's still going today, and, and um, you know, what's, What's been the attraction? What's kept you in the game so long? Because while I'm sure it's a fantastic environment to be work with some of the most talented athletes that we have in this country is fantastic, but also it's, you know, it's a cauldron and you're always under scrutiny. You know, governed by how the teams that you're in charge of go. You know, it's a it's a pretty intense environment as well.
1: Yeah, look, it is. It's um, I guess the best way to describe that is, um, even now, you know, and we've got Ireland in July. Is that you're in the shed before a test match, and I know how much work's gone into it, and I know where the players are at. And about three minutes before kickoff, I leave and walk up those little stairs, and no one can see me back into the coach's box. And then you're in that little wee sort of a, a glow box in there that everyone can see you. But yes. I sit there, get organised, and when the ref blows the whistle, I'm like, I'm excited. Yeah. Because I, I love the game. Yeah. And so my, my passion is I store. I, 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 at the end of the day, it's trying to differentiate the the size of the occasion and the importance of the legacy and all those little things. And ultimately, for me personally, I I have to love the game. Yeah. And because, and so, and I just love watching the All Blacks play. Funnily enough, yeah. You know. And for me, it it still gets my, my my blood going when 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 I see the All Blacks go out and play. And I just I just love what they do. And to be part of that's pretty cool. So being able to, be involved and influence people, but it's more about um, getting a group of people that are all got strengths and weaknesses and, and you know, different backgrounds and everything and trying to create something that, that goes somewhere. And yep. that, that's the part that really excites me. I was going to ask that because you're assistant coach for the All Blacks for a long period of time.
0: One thing I always wondered is that, you know, it's obviously fantastic to work <coughs> with, you know, players of that quality, but you also work with guys like Dan Carter and Nanu, Conrad Smith, you know, when you're in, in a back coaching role, Guys are absolute top of their game. How do you how do you push their buttons? How do you help them improve? Because, you know, to the mere mortal like myself, who watch us from the outside. Um, they're pretty good, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> how do you how do you make them bigger, faster, stronger? You know, better decision makers. Like, yeah. you know, what's because obviously, particularly in that first role with the All Blacks as assistant coach, that was very much your job, wasn't it? It was to, yeah. to work with those guys and try to figure out how to make the best of the best better.
1: Yeah, well, the the first thing you is you cross your fingers and you sweat <laughs> and you hope like heck you got something useful to add. Yeah. And um, look, it's um, it's quite an intimidating environment. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty good sleeper and I don't think I, I stress about a heck of a lot. Yeah. Um, um, but I do remember one sleepless night, and that was the night before our first All Black training. And and the very hearing you ask me that question, which I didn't know was coming, is actually it's gold for me because it reminds me of that and. Yeah. I keep thinking, man, I've got to coach Dan Carter yeah. and Ma Nonu and Conrad Smith. And uh, what am I going to teach them? Yeah. Because I'm in awe of them. And and that's part of the challenge. Because the challenge is, is is, if you try to teach them stuff, um, that, that, these, these these this quality or calibre of people and players, they, 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 they're listening to everything you say because they want to learn. But because they know so much, there's a filter there, and you just got to make sure that you can't fake anything. Like if you try to teach something that you don't really know or 100%, yeah. then, then you're going to get caught out. So, you know, I go back to you know those days and think, okay, well, I believed in two or three things as as a as an attacking coach, and said, okay, well, we're going to work on these two or three things, and. And I reckon I can improve your game if we can work on this one or two little things. And so, and and they may appear to be really small, but over time you build them up, and they they and you and you let them develop some of the ideas. Yeah. And because you know you you can't just program yeah. your amazing players to do what you want. You've just actually got to be a frame, help them, and be part of the process to improvement. So part of it's putting your ego to one side, admitting. Don't know much about that, but I'm pretty good at that. Now, can I, can we work on that and let's see if it makes a difference? Yeah, hundred
0: percent. Like, and it must be hugely satisfying when um, you put something in place um, with guys of that caliber, and then you literally see it come to life on the field. You know, like it's a micro skill. It might be something you've focused on for three to six months or something like that. But then to see those boys execute execute that from up in the up in the stands must be hugely satisfying. And I know you boys don't show a lot of emotion in the box, but there must be little moments where you're doing just cheeky little fist pumps
1: um, under the desk going, my fingerprints are on that a little one, even just a little bit, even yeah, just look, a little bit. There, there's some moments like that, and it's um, there's moments that you get real satisfaction in the job, and it's like, okay, well, I know that I've influenced that part, yep. but the the you also know that you know, we're part of a group that, it may not have just been me. It might have been the the the, the trainer. It might have been the other yep. other coaches that have all had their little part to play. And it's you know it's easy to isolate one person's got the ideas, but um, you know there's, it's a collective organisation. And, and really in the high performance side, it's it's about you know you're still I my mean, my job is to lead, and I've got to make sure I've got. I'm sharp and I'm and a great believer in, you know, a, a river without banks is called a flood. So our job is to supply some some banks for all that energy to go down, but it's also to make sure we listen and adapt as we go through.
0: Absolutely. Very successful period as All Blacks assistant coach, some absolutely fantastic milestone, milestones during that time. <coughs> Became the head coach of the All Blacks in 2020. And, like, it's a significantly different role. And also it's a, it's a big role as well. Like, did you... Put some real thought to that about putting your name in the hat. Like, was a fait accompli that you are going to do it, or did you really consider it because you're close with your family? I know footy takes you away from, you know, from that um, a lot. There's, um, it's a different role. You know, like being mm. a lot more in the spotlight. Did you think about it for a long time, or you're like, I'm in. I, I'm, I want to have a crack at this.
1: And I'm. Nah, I didn't think about. It. I probably, <laughs> I probably should have. <laughs> I probably should have thought it a bit deeper. Um, now, look, I. Um, I did. I thought about a lot. I sort of went through. Look, I, the the one thing that you talked about my role as assistant coach, but man, I coached with some great coaches. Yeah, in that time, absolutely. You know, and and I had the benefit of of working alongside, you know, Mike Cline, who I think is just about unparalleled in his coaching of the smaller parts of the game and and his teaching methods. And and had a couple of years when Smithy came back in, and you know, he, he's awesome with his passion and his attention to detail and. And and there was Mick Byrne as a schools coach. There's a whole lot of really good coaches, and 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 I will mention Steve because yeah, yeah. you know I, I learned so much from him and his ability. You know he had his fingers over. He wanted to know a lot about everything, but he his man management skills I think, which probably isn't as strongly known as what what people think. But his ability to read the athlete was phenomenal. So I I got I worked a lot in that space, and and he. Over that eight-year period, he he kind of increased my role and gave me more and more to do, I guess. And and as, and as you start to prove yourself, I guess you get a, a bigger responsibility. So, you know, by the end, I guess when I signed in 2017 for 2019, I um I took a long time to sign that contract. Right. Because. Uh, 2017 was a, a a pretty tough year. We had the line series which we drew, um, and and I didn't know that I was my role was growing significant enough in that team, and I really questioned whether I, I was still the right person for that group. And but turned out that, that I was, and I, and I signed on, and so I basically I knew that I was going to be okay. Well, if things go well, kind of my responsibility was to say, well, I'm a I'm an option for continuity, and and. Um, and then post 2019, it wasn't just about continuity anymore because we we, we were slipping a little bit. You know, yeah, we need to. I need to make sure what is some fresh stuff that I can I can bring to the table. And I've loved that challenge. It's been great, challenging. <laughs> I was going to ask that because, like you say, it's a significantly
0: different <laughs> role. Perhaps you yep. know in your previous job, you, I've heard that you're very analytical, like to get into the detail, and that's probably something you can absolutely do when you're assistant coach and you really get stuck into your area. Head coach is a bit <coughs> different. I don't know whether it's sort of that you know, managing the team role more, I don't know. but And also, you know, for years and years, we would drop our coaches after a a World Cup loss, you know. That's something that would happen, that changed in 2007. Um, And, you know, like, probably the challenge is, is it the other way around? Like, we're having some continuity with coaches, but how do you keep it fresh as well? Like,
1: is that something you had to put a huge amount of thought to as you went into that job? Yeah, definitely. It's, um, you know, I think it's, if I just sort of, been the same going from one seat to the other yeah. I don't think that would have been very successful and um so my my leadership style and how I go about things I, I made a um a conscious effort to be really to to spend a lot of time defining that for for, for me and yeah. w- what I felt I needed to do and um and and you're kind of doing that for the people that you're working with like it's the hard part of this job is that you're you, you, you know, you've got people that want to project project me outside into the community in a certain way, into business that way. And But ultimately, I kind of see my job as, yes, I've got to sell the, the team and the vision to the public. And that's I love that part of the job. But I, I equally love the fact is that I've still got to be what this team needs me to be inside. Yep. And so part of it is looking at, at, at the group of players we've got and our management and looking at the whole collective and say, OK, well, what leadership style does this group need? And and I reckon after 2019, we, we still were doing a lot of things right, but there were some things that needed freshening. So they actually needed me to get a little bit hard-nosed and, and force some change in some areas. And there's other things that I needed to enhance because I felt that we were progressing things really well and we needed to keep growing some stuff. So um, ended up changing a few things with myself, but you probably have to ask others how that's got on. But, look, I've loved the challenge. I'm, I'm very collaborative. Yep. Um, I, I've, I've got to, I, I work hard to understand what the players are thinking and where their heads are at, and doesn't mean we we do everything they say or everything that I say. But I want to have those hard conversations. And quite frankly, the last two years, um, you know, we've been dealt with COVID and everything's changed. But what, what's what's been amplified from a head coach position and COVID is is understanding your players and their needs and the stresses that they're having off the park
0: Foz we've got some amazing fans here in New Zealand and we've got some around the world this moment you're in the coaching box for a fantastic reaction from the fans at Eden Park in 2015
1: They're standing at Eden Park Never ever seen that Park
0: before for a player. mate do you remember that Foz can you remember that moment
1: well, I'm assuming that was Richie coming was. off the field um, after that Bledisloe Cup
0: test. It was, his last game on New Zealand soil and, yep. and I was there and I, I was just saying, I can't remember a, um, a, basically a, a crowd full of fans getting to their feet you know, before a game was finished or anything like that, it was a pretty awesome moment. We are lucky enough um, to have grabbed a few questions from all black fans for you, mate, so I'm going to run them through. First question from Stephen Evans. How do you see the season in the context of the Rugby World Cup 2023? Will it be about banking new players or loyalty to senior players? There you go.
1: Yeah, good question, Stephen. <laughs> That's been, you've been in on some selection meetings, I think. Yeah. Um, it's, look, we've had two years. Well, I guess the, the, the answer to that is we've had the first two years of the World Cup cycle. Generally, you're trying to establish your game, get everything smooth. Often the third year is about building some depth. And then the fourth year is about just going to do it. Um, we've had to flip that over because uh, the first, two, first year we only had six tests. Last year we had 15, but we're away from home, had 40 pliers because of COVID quarantine and all that sort of stuff. But So we went to a depth strategy last yep. year. And We were kind of forced to. but um, And so that put us in a unique position. So this year really is, you know, we, we need to probably – we're going to narrow the squad down a little bit. Obviously, it won't be 40. I think we're probably going to name 36 at this stage, or slightly bigger at the start, and we'll see what happens later in the year. And it's really about building the combinations and getting a little bit more consistency and selection this year. So so I think that's kind of our flow. And it's a little bit different to previous World Cups, but um, uh, based on what we've had the last two years, we're in a great spot now that we've, you know, we've got a, a, quite a big group of All Blacks now that have had a taste yeah. of it. And so
0: now we're narrowing it down. Now, time to sharpen focus. Brett Saunders asks, "Do you have an effective plan for the rush defence, Foz? Do you, Foz?" Yeah, well, <laughs> hey, we're
1: we're working hard on it because every look, every time we lose, it, it gets um, it gets chucked up, and yep. there is no doubt that um, uh, look, the the, the rush defence, line speed defence, is getting quicker all the time, and and it's really uncomfortable to play against it, and no one likes it. And so, you can play. You can use a northern hemisphere equation of playing against it by okay, let's just kick everything. And so, in other words, let's not play against it, and just keep turning them around, turn them around. Or you can, you know, and whereas our DNA has always been to try to, we want to play, give us yeah. the ball, we want to, we want to be better than that, and try to look for things. Now that gets us into trouble, and we, we've all seen that. And so, it's. The last five or six years, we've been working hard on just getting the balance of our kicking game, our running game. Um, we, we've we've probably become a we're, we're instinctively a wider passing team. We like the big passes yep. and creating space, whereas against line speed, you get smacked. Yep. And so some of our instincts that potentially come out of Super Rugby and and then they come to the international stage against that sort of teams, and suddenly they don't quite work. So breaking some habits we've got to, we've got to, we've got to learn some new habits there um, which we've been working on the, and and we're gonna really try and I guess work hard on the kind of the length of our pass and, and how and how we kick versus some of these teams so there's a couple of little cues I guess good nice. question um, Joshua Clark what do you see our biggest
0: weaknesses just over a year away from the World Cup uh,
1: Wow Um I'm probably a glass half full, so I'm looking at the positives. What What are our biggest weaknesses? I think um, there, there's certainly some some work on areas. Like what's intriguing is that I think there's two aspects that we've probably historically been number one in the world on, and probably one speed, yep. and I'm talking speed around the park, and 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 speed to do things, and the other one's been our skill level, and. And so generally all black players have been really really skillful and and we just think they're the two areas that um if we looked at it now we think other teams and other competitions are actually starting to catch up because they're putting a lot of effort into those two areas and you know we you know and i I looked at the experience last year like we had a great rugby championship went really well went up to the uk and we weren't able to be fast in those last two tests And we played two teams that were fast. And we played two teams that were really quite skillful, you know, in their forwards and their backs. And so it's just a little bit of an uppercut for us, really, that, you know, some things we've taken for granted has been sort of, well, that's the All Blacks, that's natural, is we're getting players through uh, having to learn some of that stuff at the international stage that we actually need to keep climbing the level. And so some of the work we're doing in the franchise of Super Rugby has been outstanding, but we've got to keep driving that and keep growing that. Exciting times,
0: Foz, COVID, it's in the rearview mirror. We've got
1: crowds in yeah. stadiums,
0: like it's all go. Whatever's in the calendar, we're playing. We're playing those games. And so we've got to pick an all-black team this year to play the Irish who's coming out. There's so much excitement about the series. They're a good team and we've created and developed this awesome rivalry with there at the moment and there's a real anticipation around it. When's the team getting names? What's the date and time? When can we uh, tune into the transistor radio and, and see who's going to be
1: the 36 players to take on? Yeah, it'll be a great tour. Um, I love the fact that you said that we've got to name the team, so I'm looking forward to getting some <laughs> yeah. input later on. But yeah, um, I'll
0: slide my bit of paper across. Yeah,
1: brilliant. I've got a whole pad down here with some <laughs> ideas. So the um, it's Monday after the semi final of Super Rugby, um, so we're naming it then um, because we we'll, we'll 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 assemble with the the non finalists yep. that week and get into it. But um, We'll, we'll name that squad. Um, I think that the, 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 the Māori All Blacks will be named the next day and they've got a special two-game programme. So, so good. So meeting with Clayton, I had a meeting with him yesterday and we're just discussing the, you know, the, their squad, our squad, how that looks. Um, and look, the Irish series is going to be vital. Like, what what's great for us is that, you know, we're still hurting, you know, yeah. from the last two last year and, um, and we're pretty proud of what we did last year but the last two hurt. And... And so we've got to take those lessons, but we can go straight into it. And we know we've got an Irish team that's you know, largely based around Leinster. They're doing really – yeah. in the European Championships, they've got a lot of cohesion in that team, and they'll be coming really prepared. So I think when you look at our Steinlager series now is, you know, we've got a series with some real meat in it, haven't we? Yeah. You know, whereas potentially in the past we've had tired teams come down here, whereas this is going to be a fantastic test for us. And what I really love about it is we're able to test some of our ideas – To play northern hemisphere teams and those tight teams like South Africa, it's all going to happen in July, August for us, with three against Ireland, then two against South Africa in South Africa. So we don't have to wait till the end of the year to try some things out, and that shortens our time to learn before the World Cup. So we're going to get some real lessons early.
0: You're going to know where you're at, aren't you? And like when you get, when Foz has got the spreadsheet up and he's working through it, you know. I avoided that selection thing, you know, so I did that. (laughs) You did that, and I'm coming straight back to it. Brilliant. Where's, where's been hard, you know. Like there's some obvious stuff, like what are we doing in the midfield? There's a lot of great options in the midfield. There's a lot of great options in the back row. Um, you know, are we looking for specialists? Are we going to mix it up? You know, there's some. <laughs> you know what what's been really really hard for you
1: as you've been mapping this all out. Uh, look, first and foremost, it's almost it's always hard selecting the All Blacks. It's never easy, and um, because you know how much people want it, yeah, and. We know where we want to go so we're trying to assess a whole lot of things so um, we, we built a bigger base last year what's going to be hard is we know some of those people are going to miss out and that's tough but when we look at when we look at uh, our profile and if I, I'll give you a bit of a hint with the speed and the school about where we're trying to trying to move a couple of things so when we look at selection we have those filters going on in the back of our mind yep. about some things we want to do so um, look where's it been hard you know clearly um, you know, we had a lot of injuries last year and disruptions in our midfield. We had Anton, who's probably our most experienced guy. He hasn't, um, he didn't play much last year in the rugby championship, have hamstring issues, and then he's come back and got injured again. So uh, we've seen, I think, a real, really pleasing for us is I think a massive growth in, in Rico the last
0: yep. twelve months. I was going to say, do we do we see Rico now as a specialist thirteen? You know, is that that's his number one position?
1: Yeah, look, I, I um. And this is one thing about, you know, he's he's always come to me. We've had some great conversations and he thinks he's a 13-playing wing and I think he's a wing-playing 13. But the good thing is that people grow. Yeah. And he's learnt some things about playing at 13. He's... And I thought he finished the year strongly for us. And I think he's really taken his game to a different level with what we've seen so far in Super Rugby. So excited by that. Absolutely. So and, that and gives you a clue to answer yeah. that question.
0: Well, let's keep that going. Then step in one at 12. Like, Is Geordie an option there? Is, <clears throat> is two of us, a Sheikh, someone who you think's international quarterly from what you've seen so far? They're, they're doing well, the Blues.
1: Yeah, well, you're pushing the details three weeks out from selection, so I won't go. Too no, silly no you
0: yes saw no's, foz, but just just
1: give me something, yep. you know. Yeah, well, I've just given you a lot. So come on, <laughs> it's, Um, look, it's look, we're 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 pleased with Roger's growth. Um, particularly, um, defensively, he looks reasonably settled. It doesn't yep. mean he's getting everything right, but he looks reasonably settled. He's he's certainly good on the carry stuff. Yeah. Um, he's probably still learning how to. How to link and get the passing game, and and I'm not sure the state of the kicking game because I haven't seen it yet. So, but I know, look, he's an outstanding guy. The, the he's doing a great job in the Blues, and we've we had some connections with him, and I know he's in a great spot. So, we just got to look at his progress, and particularly the next four or five weeks will be critical on that. But, um, but uh, Jordy, well, we've watched with interest, you know, him playing 12. It, it, to be look, be honest, hasn't excited me that yep. he's gone into there, but he's, but th- that's okay because yep. the way I see it is that um, he's played twelve before. He he quite enjoys it. If it stimulates him, that's great, and and I'm interested to see what it is, whether it's an option for us long term because because it, it might become one. Um, but I guess the, the 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 I guess the the clue that I'd give you is that I thought he's one of our best All Blacks last year, yeah, and. Yeah. It's goal kicking, it's high ball stuff, kicking stuff, and if you start thinking about World Cups, France, big stadiums, yep. high risk, uh, low risk teams playing, yep. um, then you have to have a back three that diffuses diffuses high ball and has got a great kicking game and is strong defensively. And he ticks those boxes, so I still love him as a 15. Um, but are we willing to to consider some option of 12? Well yes we are yeah, totally. Flowers
0: has become eligible uh, for New Zealand rugby, which is exciting. <laughs> They've got a great little one-two punch going down there at the Highlanders at the moment, with with Nuggy Aaron Smith um, starting a lot of games. Flowers coming off the bench, playing really well. Finley Christie's playing really well. Someone you brought into the environment last year. TJ's back in the mix from Japan. Like getting getting chockers in there. Like um, you've been Brad River. Brad, well, geez, coming sorry. back from injury. Oh yeah. Christ, sorry, Brad. Like um, yep. so many good options. Um, you know, you start to nail down who you think might be the three there or actually is that where someone's got a little bit of a, a little bit of a window
1: to play themselves in as well well there's a bit of a window it's um you know we've we've got a reasonably clear idea we're just watching the last two or three weeks um you talk about tough positions you know i, I think um i'd say nine's probably toughest is tougher than even probably nine loose head prop would yep. be the two that that there's a, you know real opportunity and there's been a most most conversation around the table so, and and the nines a great conversation because we've got some great players yeah no, and
0: and a bit different like they're a little bit different
1: how absolutely. they take the game on so and. So it's hard to compare some of those players with each other because they are completely different, and so it's how you balance up their strengths and weaknesses and put it into the team mix.
0: Last one, the back row. If we I want to talk a little bit about, we've got some guys playing really well there, like and and different sort of guys as well. Like, do we see Artie as a specialist number eight now? Um, <coughs> you know, is there? is there an option that someone like Dalton, who's you know almost best on show in Super Rugby at the moment, could go to six and do a bit of a Michael Jones because he's he's big, like he's a big bugger. So are those sort of <laughs> things on the table?
1: or, or you yeah, yeah, look, they're all <laughs> on the table. The tables, we're open to ideas, just bring them on in. So it's, um, um look, love Dalton, love what he's doing. Um, loved him last year. I thought yeah. he really put his hand up as a, an international seven. Made um, about 400 tackles against Ireland or something, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And... Um, and so he's growing a lot we've, we've, we've um, so yeah there's 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 a there's a lot of different styles of loose forwards that we've got um, if I answer some of your questions we see Artie as an 8 and we see Artie as a 7 yeah. I'm quite happy playing Artie in both positions I really I love him as a rugby player he's, he's dynamic but you know there's some massive strengths for him at 8 at the moment because we can free him up a little bit with his ball carrying and so that, that's part that that we do like we've Got great options at seven, um, and it's it is an area that we we could be looking at a little bit of versatility and mix and matching. You know, we've often talked to Dalton about you know playing a bit at six, and really, if you look at the modern game, the only area that you'd probably say, okay, well, it's not a good idea, and it's probably at the lineout stage because yeah. suddenly you've you know if you go in with Dalton and Nadi and and Sam, you've basically got. You know, three uh, sort of a shorter loose forward trio, but there's ways around that. And quite frankly, both Ardy and Dalton, particularly, are actually really growing their skills in the line out. So it is an option for us. Last question on the squad um, and, and probably link two together. Is there
0: room for a bolter? Is there room for someone that we haven't seen on the team sheet before? Or, or maybe could it be something a bit different at Lock? You know, we've got um, perhaps that scenario where. Need to see a bit more depth. Uh, people, you know, James Tucker's playing well. Could be a bolter. Luke Romano's born again with the Blues. Yeah, you know, like yeah. and he's he's a big body. You know, is it maybe in the locking department where we might see something a bit
1: different, or there, or there's room for that bolter? <laughs> yeah, no, we're. Uh, I'm not sure there's going to be a bolter in the in the locks, but um, um, uh, is there going to be room for a bolter? I don't think there's a room for. Um, I don't think there'll be a name pop up way outside the square that people yep. aren't used to. Well, well, is there potential for some new All Blacks? Then the answer is yes. I like it.
0: Um, look, it's anything in particular you're, you're looking forward to about the Irish series, Foz? Like, it's I think you you probably covered a bit of it, but it's exciting, isn't it? Like, I just it's the first time I think in my. All Black supporting memory that there's really anticipation and I'm phenomenally excited about the June series and I don't want to say that in a way that I'm being arrogant as an All Black supporter but we do often get some teams turn up that are a bit tired. It's a really long season up north and they often maybe don't send a full squad um, or or they come really fatigued because I have played club finals right up until May and, and European competitions. But I get the feeling um, that the Irish are going to send down a really good side, and like you say, that it's based around the strength of Leinster, which are doing really, really well. They've got five games, so it's no—they mm-hmm. um, had the ability to improve over over sort of a, a six-week period. Like, what's standing out for you um, is the things you're most excited about as they're about to turn up on our shores.
1: Look, uh, look—we're really excited about the rugby, and, and I guess we'll have a lot of time to talk about that closer to the, the tour and. and and, and it's going to be two heavyweights having a good crack at each other, and it's over three tests, so it's who learns and adapts the most. The, I, I I tell you what I think the, the boys and myself are looking forward to the most, and that is that in the last two years, we, we've, been, we've had two or three big games in New Zealand, and the rest of them have been away, and yep. we've been an away team. And <laughs> yeah. and we've been away from our fans, we've had we haven't been able to play in front of our friends and families in our own community and even when we've gone overseas, family and friends haven't been able to come over and, and support us. And it's you know, you know, I know we're a big business and it's a big game and we have gotta perform it. But there's what I'm excited about is, is connecting with, with our rugby for the New Zealand All Blacks, isn't it? And we're That's playing right. in New Zealand. And look, we are so excited about playing in New Zealand, big test matches and trying to really reconnect. We feel like it's been tough to connect with our, our, our fans the last couple of years, and, but just a chance to get excited with them about a big series and, yeah. and to go out and, and feel that support from the crowd. And that's probably the thing that we're looking forward to the most, on our own soil. Brilliant. Foz, time for the SAP Best Run
0: segment, and perhaps this moment would be one of your most memorable in the coaching box. Oh.
1: Does New Zealand try and find a way through? Yeah. Smith feeds to Keno. Let it go! Carter goes for the drop goal. Dan Carter. What a kick. He did it against South Africa. And he's done it again in the final.
0: Great moment, Foz. 2015 World Cup final. Perhaps maybe... You know, an example of, of a best run team when all all the all the different elements that require you know absolute peak performance came together. Would that be, um, you know, an example of, of perhaps one of the best environments you've been involved in with with guys like Dan doing amazing things like that?
1: Yeah, I well, no no doubt about it. You don't um, achieve those things by by luck. So there was a, um, but just the great connection between, you know, great leadership. You know, I thought, um. You know, Steve did an outstanding job setting that campaign up. Um, but the the collective buy-in from our players, and, you know, you talk about Dan, but, you know, let's talk a lot about Richie and Rito and Conrad and Ma and Kevin Mielama and all. It was a very, very special group of people that were absolutely passionate about the black jersey. And what I loved about that is that when you're trying to run your team, you're trying to create new, new horizons, aren't you? Yeah. And we'd never won a World Cup away from home. Yeah. You know, we'd been a home World Cup team, and it's pretty hard to describe yourself as great when the, when the only stage, the big stage you really win on is at home. And so, you know, going up to the UK and doing something that no other All Black team had done was really what stimulated that group. And it, it drove them to, to, a, to an organisational level that, you know, we were thorough, but we were relaxed and confident. It's awesome to have SAP on board
0: with the podcast and they pride themselves on powering the best-run teams. I'm going to ask you a few questions about that, specifically about that, Foz, and, and it's probably hard to dial down, but is there two or three things, two or three factors for success um, that you've seen from your playing days as well all the way through to your job as head coach now um, that really um, create a best-run team and maybe drill down into one of those?
1: Yeah, look, uh, look, every team will operate in a different way. I think for us... Um, in terms of best run, I think there's a couple of things that that we've learnt. That is, that that the bigger the challenge you got, the more you got to know who you are, yeah. because when time gets really really tough, you need to draw down into something. And so, it's so it's a little bit of that. So when we talk about the all black legacy, it's a little bit about that's the power that actually drives us. So how we, how we run our team to make sure that that we're connected to. To that power source in us which is which is really important to us um so i think that's really really important and i think the other thing that that we take a lot of pride on is that is is really driving the clarity of, of your roles and making sure that, yep. that that people have a real understanding of who they are in this group and, and the job that they have to do and so that way you don't have people feeling not valued here, or not sure, and and that's that's when we feel performance goes down. Whereas if people know that this is what we need you to do, and if you don't do it, we're not going to get where we want to go, then that that puts a value on that role, and, and people respond to that. And for you, Foz, what do you do? Like, what do you
0: individually as as a coach? Like, what do you <laughs> do to continue to grow? Because you've been in the game for a really long time, 20 plus years. Um, but I'm sure uh, making sure that you improve is a massive
1: part of of what you're trying to achieve as well. Absolutely, it's um, you know it's you 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 want to think that you know everything when you've been around a long time, and you certainly learn very quickly that you, I guess, part of wisdom is knowing what you don't know, and um, and so I'm forever trying to find new little avenues to to challenge my thinking and how we go about it. So there's different people I got a I got a next um, a next flatmate of mine from university days who was. World Vice President of Unilever, and so he's very high powered. Up, right. so he's a guy that I'll go to and, and link in with sort of, you know, business frameworks and how people are thinking and, and some of that sort of stuff. We I spend a lot of time pulling our game apart and, and talking to people outside our group just to get different views and and you know one really exciting thing going forward for us is is the, I guess the appointment of. You know, when Foxy retires in July, getting Joe Smitten to yeah, that brilliant. selector's role. And so suddenly we've we've got, you know, not only have I got a great replacement for Foxy, but I've got someone who's been an international head coach, really successful, and he's got a Northern Hemisphere brain on him, you know, or knowledge on him. that, And, and he can come back and challenge us on, on some things that we're doing from that side. So being open to challenge has been the key theme the last four or five months because, you know, we got a few lessons last year and we've got to learn them. I love that. And lastly, Foz,
0: which team or individual do you admire, do you admire in World Sport? There's some pretty pretty impressive high performance teams out there. I know at times um, you're already lucky to be going to different environments and see mm. how they tick. Is there an individual or team in particular that sticks out for you?
1: Yeah, I guess there's a few. Um Everton soccer yeah, team. Yeah, yeah. That's only because it's my soccer yeah, team. I was say, it, is that a, and they're just avoiding support relegation <laughs> so I'll, I'll move on from that one but I you got to say them and it's um look I think in terms of a, a closer relationship and probably over the last while a, a team like the Melbourne Storm. Yeah. Um you know with Craig and, and with Frank there that they have they've done some you know they've they've been able to stay at, at the top really consistently and and apply some really good. It's a values-based model, which which I love. It's not a, a gimmicky-based thing that they're trying to tweak things and inspire people through a through a, through a new name or something. But they have got some really good, strong values to them. So it's those sort of organisations that that I I kind of love hearing about. That there's a bit of prolonged success and and they do it through their people. Brilliant.
0: Thank you so much, mate. We've ticked over an hour. We've had a good yarn already. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I appreciate your time. Um, good luck for the upcoming series really excited uh, to hear about the team on June the 13th um, yep. and I wish you all best for the ISU's and the rest of the season as well appreciate you coming in thanks very much Rob appreciate it the All Blacks podcast is powered by our official cloud software partner SAP helping our teams of black be the best run in sports hosted by Rob Dunn in the Hargrave Street Studio Produced by Carl Thompson from Blue and Ginge, the podcast producers. Video editing by Mac Leesberg. Graphics by Western Design. Content advising from Andy Burt. And commercial manager for the podcast is Valeska Hove. Follow the All Blacks podcast on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere you get your podcasts.